Okay, so if you would, uh, please stand and let's go ahead and read the scripture and then we'll dive into today's teaching. Okay, so this week we're covering the right in Ephesus. Hmm. So we start with verse 21. It says, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Very important. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines from Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people. Saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Mm. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed of her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who, do, who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. You can be seated. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together in your house today. Father, we've just gathered here together in this place because we know that we need you. Father, I just pray that you would join us in this time. 
I just pray that you would open up our hearts. I pray that you would open up our minds to your will and to your word. That we may learn something new about you today and how that you would have us to live. And Father, I just pray that you would show us something today that you would allow me to point something out about how we can apply this text to our life, which is the ultimate end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so if you have your handout today, uh, you can grab it. And uh, the title of today's message is going to be The Hope of the Gospel. The first thing you'll fill out is that the first source of hope that we draw from the gospel is the fact is that the gospel is the power of God. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The fact is, when the gospel is preached and people believe, the Holy Spirit empowers them to live in radically different ways. Paul has been preaching the gospel at Ephesus for three years. Paul has been faithful in preaching the word. The Spirit has been poured out on believers and as a result of this, many miracles have happened. So many miracles have happened, and because there's been so much life change in Ephesus, this term has been came about called the way. I like to think about this as a total way of life, meaning that everything about these new believers have been changed. Do you know anybody that has experienced this radical life change from the gospel? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's some of you. You see, I'm a person that has experienced radical life change as a result of the gospel. Uh, most of the people in this area only know that Stephen has been in recovery because when uh, I got into recovery, it was actually the time I started attending uh, this church. And actually, I'm from Fort Payne. I'm not even from this area. But I was a guy that got caught up in the party crowd in high school, uh, our senior year. And, uh, but a little bit after that, I got married, and me and my wife uh, decided that uh, we wanted to stop the party and, you know, and, and get into church and uh, live at that time what we thought was, you know, the right way to live. But the fact is, you know, I went to church for all the wrong reasons. I didn't go to church to, strengthen, uh, to seek the power of the Lord. I went to church as sort of like a status type thing, you know, sort of uh, to get people off my back. Uh, to make people uh, at work think, oh, look at him, he goes to church, he's, you know, a good guy, and things like this. And, and the fact is, it didn't work out for me. I eventually uh, left the church, and I got right back with that party crowd again. And uh, things began to snowball in my life after that, in my early 20s. Uh, I felt like I had this huge hole inside of me. Can you relate to that? Yeah. And I just began this process after I left church and broke away from church of trying to just stick everything in that hole, you know. And I got some satisfaction uh, for a while. Uh, but it started out with me about just, you know, going after work as hard as I could. I would spend a lot of time at work. I would work extra every hour I could. And uh, for me, it was all about material possessions. Uh, working a lot to make money to buy these things. And I sought my happiness in things like uh, vehicles, uh, motorcycles, just houses, all this type of stuff. But the fact is, you know, I was buying stuff that I really couldn't afford. And then I was accumulating all this debt. 
And then in the end, you know, I'm sunk up in debt, which sort of compounds the problem, and I'm still running with a party crowd. And so at that time, I transitioned away from material possessions into alcoholism and eventually drug addiction. And my life went on like that for some years. And, um, you know, I would come to church with friends or family members would invite me to come to church. And oftentimes when I was at church, I felt like, you know, the Lord wanted that relationship with me and like I should go down and pray or surrender my life to Him. But so often I didn't do it. It's because I sort of had a conflicted view of the gospel that I had to make changes about my life before I could approach God. So I relied on my own strength to try to change and I never actually sought the surrender of uh, the power of God through surrender of the gospel on my life. But in 2014, uh, in a jail ministry, I felt that call again, on the wrong side of the jail ministry, mind you. Not the guy where I was going to jail, I was the guy in jail. So uh, I felt that call again on my life. And uh, this time things were different. And I went and I just, I just fell on these guys and they prayed for me. And so at that point, I consider that being uh, the new birth of my life. Since then, I've been uh, 100% clean from all drugs and alcohol. And that's actually what brought me to Aniston to begin with because I came and went to a recovery program uh, here in Aniston. And so as we talk about uh, these ministry partners that we have, I stand here today as an example of how important those ministry programs are. Praise God. Because, in, you know, in DeKalb County, there was churches there that were funded jail ministries at that time. We had chaplains at the jail and so my life was saved as a result of a jail ministry. When I came to this area, I also got involved in Celebrate Recovery, and uh, I was at a recovery house. A lot of people here don't know it, but our Celebrate Recovery, uh, we really do a lot for recovery houses in the area. Uh, they come, and so, you know, a lot of times the extra food that we have, we send with them, and uh, we encourage them, we give away Bibles to them. We, we've actually given away like a case and a half of Bibles here in like the last month that people at the recovery houses have wanted. So uh, let my life be an example here today that the ministry partners that we have are so important that they work, but also let my life today be an example of the power that exists in the gospel when we surrender our will over to Him. Amen. And see, Ephesus was a melting pot for religious activity. It wasn't that there was not any religion in Ephesus, but you know, we know that the temple of Artemis was there. You might know her as Diana, uh, the great goddess. Actually, this huge temple was built there, and people would come from all over the world to worship Artemis at this area. We also learned up in chapter 19 that there were magicians there. There were people who practiced these black arts as well. And we know as well that there was a sect of the Jews there because we read in the scripture that the Jews put Alexander forward to try to make a defense to the crowd. Uh, just a side note on that, Alexander wasn't really uh, there for the right reason. He just didn't want their authority being taken away as Jews. You know, Alexander steps out and they know that. They know that, you know, Alexander just wants us to be quiet because he's worried about himself. Uh, he don't want uh, any bad to come on the Jewish religion. So that's why they really wasn't paying much attention to Alexander when he stepped forward. We know that there was so much worship of idols going on in this area that there had become this lucrative business attached to it. We know that Demetrius was profiting from this worship. 
And we know that even the ones that he wasn't profiting from, they were not a threat to his way of life. They were not a danger to Demetrius. So he wasn't that worried about it. But this gospel was different. The gospel had the power to change the believer. The gospel had the power to change the believer's whole way of life. And this was definitely a threat to Demetrius and his way of life. We also see that those who speak the gospel speak as those who have authority. If you remember on up in chapter 19, what we studied last week, that Paul had so much authority and so much blessing from God on him that even the handkerchiefs and the aprons that had touched him were carried to people and they would be healed from that. We also know that those who didn't speak the gospel didn't have authority. Remember the sons of Sceva, how they went and tried to cast the demon out. And as Justin points out, if the demon overpowers you and you leave without your pants, you have definitely been defeated. And that's exactly what happened with the sons of Sceva. Because they didn't go in the power of God and the power of the gospel. They lacked the authority. Demetrius understands how powerful the gospel is. Fact is, Demetrius isn't a believer, but he's seen enough life change in the believers that he knows that there is power definitely in this gospel. And he knows that something has to be done to try to stop this way of life. Listen to what Demetrius knows about the power of the message of the gospel. In verse 25, Demetrius says that there is danger to this business. That his wealth could be taken away from the gospel. Demetrius knows that there's so much power in the gospel that this whole trade and his whole business can be wiped out by this message. In verse 27, he speaks of the temple. This is the largest temple in the world. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. And some people even had it listed as number one, the first wonder of the world. And listen to what Demetrius says. He says that because of this gospel message, this temple could be counted as nothing. Also in verse 27, you have Artemis. At this time, this is the largest following in the world, many scholars believe. There was hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people that worshipped Diana. Demetrius says that there was danger that she could be deposed of her magnificence because of the power of this gospel. He also mentions all of Asia and the entire world. Demetrius knows that this message is so powerful from what he's seen in Ephesus that the entire world could be changed by this gospel message. We also know that Demetrius risked being jailed to start this riot and effort to stop the gospel. At the time, the control of Ephesus was probably Roman, and we know that sometimes they allowed the local governments to go ahead and run. Uh, we know that the, they didn't really uh, interfere too much in the religions as long as there was peace. But whenever there's a riot about or whenever things get out of hand, they can come in and shut things down real quick. And so we know that Demetrius risked that to try to stop this gospel. We know that he understands that there's power in the gospel, that this is a danger to his way of life, and that he has to do something now to try to stop this message. Here at CR, we get to see the power of the gospel at work in people's lives every Thursday night. As people begin to understand that they are powerless over whatever hurt, hang up, or habit they are dealing with, we explain to them 
that in Jesus they can gain the strength to overcome. That's right. Yeah. That he will strengthen them so that they can use their testimony to glorify him. When we get that right, we experience the freedom we have in the gospel. The power we receive from the gospel allows us to step into the freedom that we have in the gospel. Point number two is that there is freedom in the gospel. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Lord is, there is freedom. The fact is, there is freedom from sin, bondage, and idols that we have in this life. Demetrius loved the fact that people were trapped in this idolatry. He found security in the fact that people were dependent on his trade. So much so that he was willing to risk everything to try to stop it. The fact is also that Demetrius had idols in his own life. And some of the idols that he had in his own life are some that we can relate to here today, me for sure. We know that probably what set this into motion was the fact that in chapter 19 that the magicians had brought their books and they had burnt them in the sight of all. It makes mention that they counted them up and that was 50,000 pieces of silver that they burned. You know, and we know that probably what started the fact is that Demetrius got really concerned about his money, right? You know, here's the deal. A lot of us can tolerate a lot of things until it starts to affect our bank account, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's the point that when it starts messing with money or when it starts messing with our income, something has to be done now. And we can go to uh, elaborate measures to try to stop it. So this is something that we see that Demetrius is dealing with that I know I can relate to in our own life. Let's examine ourselves during this time and see if any of these things we're holding up as idols in our own life. So we know that Demetrius was concerned about his money. We know that he was concerned about his wealth. And we know this is the thing that ultimately moved him off the pedestal and made him go out and try to do something to stop this gospel. He was worried about his money. He also makes mention of the temple. The temple in that area, as I said, was the largest in the world. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. Uh, believers of Artemis said that the size of this temple proved how great Artemis was. Because look how awesome her followers are if they can build a temple like this. Mm -hmm. The fact is, this temple was an object of pride for Demetrius and all of them that lived in Ephesus. But we also can have objects of pride in our own life. We can look at our homes that we live in. Uh, we can use the cars that we drive. These can all be things in our own life that we can use of objects of pride. These are things that we can allow to be idols in our own life that we can put above our relationship with Jesus Christ, just like Demetrius did. When he mentions in verse 27, he says, Whom all of Asia and the world worship. This is also a point of status for Demetrius. You know, he loves the recognition that they have from other people that he's from Ephesus. He's a craftsman in Ephesus. And it says that all of Asia and the whole world look to them as a status point, as a status symbol. This is also something that I can allow in my own life to come between uh, my relationship with Jesus Christ. In my own life, it can be my job, 
It can be a position of authority. I can put the title of ministry above the work of ministry. And my heart can get out of line, right? I can worry about the status. I can worry about the title more so than what's actually designed for me to be doing in ministry. Can we relate to that with our job? Or can we relate with positions of authority? Have we allowed them to become idols in our own life? An idol is something or it can be anything in our life that we allow to come between us and Jesus Christ. It can be anything in our life that we allow to take time away from prayer, to take time away from studying the Word, things that can keep us from coming to worship on Sunday morning. Webster's Dictionary defines an idol as the worship of a physical object as a God, or also immoderate attachment or devotion to something. So let's examine ourselves. What other idols might we have in our life? What are things that we have in our life that can come between us and Jesus Christ? This hurts a little bit. It hurts as I read it. But what about our phone? I mean, our phone can be the number one thing that can come between us and Jesus Christ. The amount of time that we spend on our phones these days, the amount of times that we actually pick our phone up and see if anybody's texting us, it's just spiraling out of control in this nation. I know I have to watch myself with my phone. Also, apps on our phone. You know, some apps are designed today to hold our attention and to get our attention. They're designed with psychology built into it so that we can't look away and that we will want to look back. The fact is, when we're looking at these things, we can't be looking and we can't be studying at Jesus Christ and His will for our lives. So let's examine ourselves. How much are we using our phone? Are we allowing it to come between us and Jesus? Is it becoming an idol in our life? The apps that are on our phone are these things that have taken time away from Jesus Christ that we should be using to worship Him. Also, relationships are something else that can uh, come between us and Jesus Christ. Are we more concerned about what somebody would think about us if we come to church or if we uh, take time away from that relationship to spend time in prayer, reading the Bible, spending time with the Lord? Uh, we uh, press in and see our here on codependent relationships. And oftentimes, codependent relationships can be something that somebody can use in our life after addiction. You know, somebody comes out of addiction or alcoholism, and the very first thing they seek is what? That relationship. They want that connection. And oftentimes, that's what we get with social media. That's why we need it. We need that connection. So let's watch relationships and examine relationships in our life. If they're healthy for our walk with Jesus Christ. That's good. The fact is, there's freedom from fear and anxiety in the gospel as well. Amen. I love our thing we have here. I look at it every week. It says, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. There's freedom from fear in the gospel when we rely on Him for His strength. And when we seek Him, when we unplug from the world and when we plug into the power of Jesus Christ, we can overcome fear. We can overcome anxiety in this life. The fact is, though, when you receive the power of the gospel and you experience the freedom of the gospel, not everyone may be supportive of this way of life. 
That brings us to our next point, which is there is opposition to the gospel. Another significant point we learn through the text is that, uh, you know, there's always going to be some pushback against the gospel in our life. I mean, Jesus promised that, right? right. And Matthew 10, 34, he says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I'd also like to look at Acts 19, 17 through 20. That's one of my favorite passages in all of Acts. I just love that. You know, I love the fact that the magical books are being burned. It says that people were confessing and divulging their practices. Right. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Wow, that's what I call a mountaintop moment. Yeah. And I just love that. And it would be so easy to just cruise on out on that mountaintop moment, you know. And uh, you almost think maybe that's what Paul's thinking a little bit. And he's like, all right, well, now we're, we're good to go. We're going to ride out of here and go get this collection and head to Jerusalem. But then how do we get there this quick in Acts 19, 28 through 34, just eight passages later, we're here at the ride of Ephesus. We met with fierce opposition in verses 28 through 34. It says that they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Also, after Alexander tried to quiet the crowd down, it says that for two hours they cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The fact is, the way of life for the early church was concerning to those in Ephesus. It was dangerous to the pagan lifestyle and the trade of the writers. The fact is, when you speak the truth of the gospel, you will witness holy spirit-driven miracles and you will experience fierce opposition. Something else we can experience is sometimes the opposition to the gospel, sometimes the opposition to spreading that message can come from inside us. We can feel unequipped to share the gospel. Uh, we can have an idea in our mind that this is for Justin. Hey, I'm just, I want to hook him up with Justin. He's the guy that can tell it to him. You know, I don't want to mess this up. Are we prepared to face the opposition in our own lives for the spread of the gospel? Are we willing to push through this opposition to unleash the power of the gospel and provide the freedom that people can only get when they hear the message of the gospel? Is there a Demetrius in your own life that you're dealing with? Is there somebody in your life that you know don't want to hear the message of the gospel? But it might be a threat to their way of life and how they're living. Are we willing to be the ones that are dragged into the theater because we are followers of Christ like Yates and Aristarchus was? Without persevering through the opposition, we don't get to see the miracles of the gospel. We must speak the gospel. We must be faithful in 
carry this message so the power of God can spread through the ends of the earth. We must tell the world that there is freedom in the name of Jesus. We must tell the world in the words we say and in the way we live that Jesus Christ is enough. That's right. Amen. Amen. Yeah. That's good. Our last point here is that the gospel will not be stopped. Yeah. That's good. I want to end our time together here today uh, the same way that Paul ended his time in Ephesus with encouragement, right? I know they had that chapter 20 there and they had that one verse past it, but I just couldn't leave that out. I had to end on an encouraging note and go ahead and include that in this message. So, Acts 19.20, we see at the end of that great outpouring of the Spirit to where the magicians had brought their books, they had burned them. I love that part because it's so encouraging as we go out there. It says, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Yeah. But what do we see in 20 verse 1 after the ride? We see it's Paul. After encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. The fact is the riot and the opposition didn't change anything. Paul was not pushed aside on what he wanted to do. He did not change his plans. The mission continued for Paul. And he left that place still on mission. And the word from that point continued to prevail and increase mightily. The fact is the church thrives when persecuted and when faced with opposition. Another point of encouragement is that God can use the unlikeliest people to help establish His will. We see that God used the Asiarchs in His town, which were employees of the Roman government, to persuade Paul from going in so that Paul could be used by God later on to carry his mission out. We see that the town clerk got involved at that time, which was probably like the mayor of Ephesus, which was quite possibly the only person that could quiet the crowd down at that time. We see how God used these people in this time to help his message spread, to help protect his people, and to ultimately carry his will out on these people. Mm. The fact is, opposition and difficulties in this life keep us dependent on God. Our God goes with us. He is there in the good times. He's there when people are burning the books. He's there when people are riding against us. Our God is not a God that dwells in temples. He is a God that dwells in our heart. He is a God that goes with us in the battle. And He is a God who will empower us to carry out His will and go on His mission here on this earth. We are victorious in Him when we do His will. So today, MVC, I want to ask you, are you prepared to carry the message of the gospel? Are you willing to face opposition in your own life? To bring the power of the gospel to other people? 
Are you prepared to face the Demetrius in your life to see somebody experience the life change and the freedom that can only come from the hope of the gospel? Rest in hope, MBC. Be prepared to give an account of the hope that exists within you. We draw hope from this. The gospel is powerful. There is freedom in the gospel. The gospel will not be stopped. Amen. So as the worship team comes to play this morning, I would like for you to reflect. This would be a great time to examine yourself, to see if you have been impacted and influenced by the power of the gospel. Are you experiencing the freedom of the gospel in your own life? Let's examine ourselves during this song and see if there's any idols in our own life, maybe that we wasn't aware of, maybe that the Lord has opened our heart and our mind to at this time, that you would like to come down and, and pray about. Maybe this is a time where we can ask Him for strength to empower us to share the gospel. Our prayer is that you just be obedient to whatever the Lord is doing in your heart at this time. I'm going to pray. We'll have a song of invitation. If you want to come pray here, if you want somebody to pray with you, you can grab me. You can grab Justin on the way down. You can hand the baby off to somebody. I done made it do it one time this morning. You can do it again. Uh, anybody that's here that you know that's an elder at NBC, you can grab us and we'll be glad to come pray for you. The fact is, there's hope in the gospel. Yes. Live in this hope. Let us share this hope and let us use this hope to carry the message and to impact this world.